Hi guys, it's me, Paula, and I pray. And today I have another message for you that I hope will bless you. And the title of it is, Oh, What a Tangled Web We Weave. Actually, that is taken from Sir Walter Scott, uh, the Scottish poet back in the 1700s, 1800s. He was a, a novelist and He said, oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. So I wanted to title this The Art of Deception. First of all, let's pray. I'm going to pray for you. And I believe that I receive from you an answer uh, that you will contact me and tell me what you learned from this uh, podcast. Father, Lord, we come before you in Jesus' name. I pray your word, Lord, Ephesians 1, 17 through 23. For I pray to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, that he would grant to you, everyone on this call that's open-hearted, receive a spirit of wisdom and revelation of insight into mysteries and secrets in the deep and intimate knowledge of him, of the Lord Jesus Christ, by having the eyes of your hearts flooded with light so that you can know and understand the hope to which he has called you and how rich is his glorious inheritance in the saints as set-apart ones. And so you can know and understand what is the immeasurable and unlimited and surpassing greatness of his power in and for us who believe as demonstrated in the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion in every name that is named above every title that can be conferred not only in this age and in this world but also in the age and the world which are to come and he has put all things under his feet Jesus Christ and in you you're in Christ and has appointed him the universal and supreme head of the church a headship exercise throughout the church, that would be us, which is his body, you, the fullness of him who fills all in all. For in the body of Christ lives the full measure of Jesus Christ who makes everything complete and who fills everything everywhere with himself. Father, in Jesus' name, we send the word and we thank you for opening up the eyes, opening up, take away spiritual blindness, Lord, and sluggishness, so that we can be filled with a full, deep knowledge of you and your will and all spiritual wisdom and insight into understanding the purposes of God and understanding and discernment of spiritual things. Father, we want to know you and the power of your resurrection, Lord Jesus. So we thank you for the power and blood of Jesus over this podcast. And the blood of Jesus, I plead it in Jesus' name. Amen. That was a long opening. (laughs) I realized that, but I wanted to get all that in. So I wanted to talk about um, this idea of deception. And I want to give you a little bit of what the modern day sort of version of what this little poem kind of means. But it's like, oh, what a tangled web we weave. And it's a, it's like twine when you are weaving twine together. And it implies, the implication there is um, you're telling a lie. So it's deceitful. and Or you're being lied to. 
and you're a victim, an unsuspecting victim of someone else's lies. And who would that someone else be? Well, if you're a believer, it would be the beguiler, it would be the devil, it would be your enemy who is um, appearing and weaving a plot against you. So um, it's an act really of enchantment. So he, what he does is there's a saying, I don't know if you've heard of it, but he pulls the wool over your eyes. Because if, he, if your eyes were open, if your understanding was in lo- opened, you would see it was him. So he's an imposter. And what he does, he makes something look different from what it really is. So he makes something look different from the truth. He is um, kind of like a showman. He is a trickster. He is a snake. He's a con artist. He beguiles. He bluffs. He deceives you, he misleads you, he deludes you, he dupes you, he hoodwinks you, he bamboozles you to cause you to believe something untrue. So pulling the wool over your eyes is like he can camouflage or conceal or hide the truth. And um, because... He, he does this because he's, he's warped, he's twisted, he's distorted. He presents something in a way and he distorts it. So he twists it, he contorts it, he misleads, he, he perverts it. He changes something to make it look, wow, this is really bad what this person is doing or what they're saying or, you know, it, it's, it's, it's really strange. You know, it's a trap, it's a trap. So... Uh, a person who causes someone to believe something that is not true, for what reason? To gain, to gain some personal advantage over you, to take advantage of you. It's interesting. So when you look at the true meaning of distortion, it's, making, it's like making something crooked. It's like um, distorting things would be like if you had um, a thought, for example, a negative self-thought or a thought against someone else. You would jump to conclusions. You would, you know, it would be catastrophic. You would overemphasize it. You, it's either all or nothing. Um, there's nothing positive. You use emotional reasoning. You don't, you're not clear-headed. So the enemy comes and he makes statements and he infers things. And we know from the Bible in John eight forty four, he is a liar and the father of lies, all right? We know from God's word, Jesus told us about him. You know, whatever it appears, it it appears to be really true, all right? Now, the society we live in, I say is a, I said this in one of my other messages, it's a narcissistic, (laughs) I keep using that, you're probably wondering why I'm on that all the time. But the society we live in is really a narcissistic society. And that, that isn't a good thing. We live in a lawless time, in the time of the end, and it is a very self-centered, vain um, society. So I'm not a psychologist, but I've studied some of this, and the personality trait or the personality disorder or an abnormal behavior of a narcissist is someone who has an exaggerated opinion of themselves, their selves. Like, they, their feelings, how they're excessive. They're, they have very little empathy. 
You know, empathy is the ability to really listen and understand the feelings, how someone feels. It's not necessarily offering advice unless they ask for it or they need an answer or they want prayer or something. But it's really having a heart to be able to put yourself in someone else's shoes, really. And so, but the narcissist is a self-centered, selfish person. And it sounds very interesting to say that the devil is narcissistic, but the society we live in is ruled by the small g, God of this world. And he is very vain. He is very self-centered. He has an exaggerated opinion of himself. He admires himself and his physical beauty. The Bible says he is very beautiful. So a narcissist is someone who has an interest in the way they look, their physical appearance. And they also lack empathy. They are constantly wanting you to recognize their achievements. And they are very, um, they can be very charming, actually, one minute, and very cold and in a rage the next minute. So that's kind of bewildering for people around a narcissist who are vulnerable to attacks like this because they expect you to recognize them, to be preoccupied with them like they are with themselves, with their beauty, with their success, with the fantasy of it. They're into fantasy. So I say we're in a narcissistic society, and the author of this fallen world is the devil. And so he uh, is very arrogant and envious, and he is lawless, the lawless one. And we live in a lawless time. And when you look at children who have not had matured and have lived under a narcissistic society they demand things they demand respect so we have these adults fathers mothers parents behaving badly and the kids are exposed to their conduct and um, we live in a society where a culture where there is a lack of respect for authority there is a lack of respect for god because they've rejected god but what has replaced god is who has all authority and all power and all rule. Jesus Christ is God. And what this younger generation also disrespects and rejects is based on the authority of God and, and the word of God is they've turned to pantheism and they're kind of self-determined and they have what's what's involved in their life, not traditional religion, but more of a new age spirituality, you know. Um, they want spirituality, but they don't want religion. So a narcissistic society or an individual has great difficulty bowing down to authority and to God. So because they're told through popular culture and spiritualism that the deity is within them. They have their own power inside of them, eternal, internal power. So, you know... Really, this is unbelievable when you think about it because when you can't bow down, you the higher power is just, you, you can say, it's just me. I'm playing God. And so you can easily be fooled and deceived. Once you set yourself on the throne of your heart and your life and you're not bowing down to God, you can be easily deceived. The wool can be pulled over your eyes and you can fail. You can fall into moral depravity. You can be very blind, spiritual blindness and lack, spiritual maturity. Um, 
And in the return, though, you still want everybody to admire you. Isn't that amazing? And respect you. When you give no respect, you undermine authority. And you, you've exalted yourself. The people have exalted themselves, not you, but whoever I'm speaking about generally in society, to a godlike figure like, uh, I'm so beautiful, I'm so talented, you know, blah, blah, blah. So we're not special people. We are special as God's children, but to have an exaggerated, excessive interest and admire yourself uh, is absolutely horrific to me. It's bewildering too, actually. So this is abnormal in God's kingdom. I just thought I would throw that in. If you're into that, um, you need to repent of it because in God's kingdom, there's no hierarchy. You know, there's no, you know, this person's better than the other. In God's kingdom, the kingdom of God, Jesus made that very clear. So we don't want to be duped or hoodwinked or bamboozled. And I think it would behoove us to take a look at the scripture now and show the word of God for who, it, for who Jesus really is. So in John chapter, first of all, let's go to John chapter 8. If you have your Bible, you can open up on your phone or open up on your iPad or whatever. But if you have your Bible there, there's going to be two scriptures. I'm going to be ta- two passages in John 8 and John 10. So first of all, in John 8, we find out Jesus is giving a testimony that he is the light of the world. Whoever follows him will never walk in darkness, will walk in light. So he is being challenged through the unbelief of the Jewish leaders. He is being hounded, challenged. There is a warrant out for him, for his arrest. There is a a conspiracy against him, a plot to take him out. And so he is making claims. He's going to make claims about who he is. He's going to be very bold and hate like he is. and, And he's going to give his dissertation at the temple and he's going to he's going to talk about himself that I am the light of the world because right before that he had been uh the uh, the the uh, religious leaders were going to plot to uh accuse him they had to find something to accuse him so they could arrest him so they brought a woman in adultery and they said what does the law say the law says to stoner what do you say so Jesus takes that question that it's going to use to accuse them. He bends down. He starts to write in the ground with his finger in John chapter 8. And then they keep on questioning him. And they keep questioning him. Well, that's how the enemy is. The enemy, the enemy will keep hounding you and harassing you and questioning you. And who are you? Who do you think you are? You know, and, and make you feel badly about yourself, right? Well, Jesus stood up and he said, Okay, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And that's what I want to say to you. People who throw stones and accuse others, you are right in line with the accuser of the brethren. You know, the enemy's name is the accuser of the brethren. Brothers and sisters in Christ throwing stones at one another. (laughs) It's not God's way. You need to repent of that. You need to repent of that. So he asked them when they went away one by one, realizing that they were not without sin. I hope you realize that. And they threw the stone aside. They didn't stone her. He said, women, where are your accuser? And he said, she said, has no one, he said, has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, sir. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. What a powerful God we have. 
So I'm saying, go now and leave your life of sin. He calls us out. The church is the called out ones, believers, born again Christians are called out. We're sent. In the kingdom of God, there is no hierarchy. There's no room. There's no room for self-absorption. There's no room for accusing in that kingdom. It's the kingdom of love and light and life. So Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more or go and leave your life of sin. So it wasn't like he didn't recognize. So in our world today of the grace message that, you know, you're not supposed to call anyone out for sin. That is absolutely heresy in my opinion, because I don't find that anywhere in the Bible. I find Jesus defending and also speaking the truth. That's all he can do. He is the spirit of truth. And, and I see him also not not allowing them to continue in their sin. Because Hollywood likes to paint a picture of, you know, the story of the woman caught in adultery and I don't condemn thee. And then she walks away and, and as if, you know, I just gave my stamp of approval on your lifestyle. No, Jesus said, go and leave your life of sin. Go and sin no more. He has something to offer us. Not spiritual blindness, not persecution, all right? Not condemnation. No. So Jesus, the Pharisees continue to challenge him in John chapter eight. And he, and they're they're angry with him. He's saying, You're 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 testifying of yourself and and appearing as your own witness. And he said, Well, even if I testify on my behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you have no idea where I came from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. You know, guys, that's always a problem. That's always a problem. When we go to make a judgment or a judgment call, we can judge a situation within the body of Christ, but we're not to judge and accuse one another. We are to lay down our pride and our self-righteousness and our attitude and let Jesus show us the truth and the way. And bring us into the law of love. Love one another even as I've loved you. Love covers a multitude of sin and it protects. It doesn't demand its own right. It doesn't insist on its own right. You all know this by heart. If you haven't memorized this and you're more than a year old Christian, you need to memorize 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily offended or angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres because love never fails. That word there, love, agape, or agape, that word is the love of God. That is not emotional, you know, like fickle feeling love. Oh, I feel good tomorrow. I don't like you. Today I do. You know, it's not that kind of love. It's the God kind of love we're talking about here. So they had great unbelief in Jesus. They were picking up stones and they were going to stone him. All right. In John chapter 10, after he made these statements, they said, we are going to stone you. And Jesus straightway, I mean, he just told them straight up because they were bragging that they were children of Abraham. Back to John chapter 8. I said it's going to be 8 and 10. I'm flip-flopping here. But they, they didn't understand, you know. But he said, well, when, you know, I'm leaving this world, I'm from above. You're of the world and I'm not of this world. He tells them plainly, 
that I am, you're going to die in your sins. Now, I don't know about you, but when you read that, you can't chop that up and mince that up and say, oh, wow, Jesus shouldn't say that to these religious leaders. They might get mad at you. Mm -hmm. The truth cannot be misunderstood. You can't allow yourself to be deceived. You've got to have the word of God as your guide. You've got to believe it, receive it right now. The Jews were going to kill him. They were out to kill him. So he says, he's in defense. He said, I'm from above. You're from below. You're going to die in your sins if you don't believe in me. He was pleading with you. And they were like, who are you? Who do you think you are? The Jews, they believed that they were children of Abraham. And they said, you know, we're not slaves. And he said, no, I'm paraphrasing this and this. But he's just saying, no. He said, you are a slave to sin. He tells them that. They said, no, no, we're descendants of Abraham. And we're not free. He said, how can you say that we shall be set free? And Jesus said, the Son of God sets you free. You shall be free indeed. So everyone who sins is a slave. So people talk about slavery. I find it interesting. No one speaks about slavery in terms of sin. When you're involved in deception, when you're involved in mind-blinding spirits and you're deceived and you're, you're allowing the enemy to use you as an accuser, uh, you're in bondage. You need deliverance. You need to repent of that. He says, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. So if the Son sets us free, just say that the Son of God has set me free, I am free indeed. You know, and so he goes on to say that if God were your father, because they were claiming that they're really children of the devil, then you would love me for I came from God and now I'm here and I have not come on my own. He sent me. So he's saying, isn't my language clear enough for you? Because you are unable to hear. So they had spiritual blindness. They were unable to hear. Right now, in the name of Jesus, I break spiritual blindness off of you. I break the deception of sin or the idea that you can continue to live in sin or you can tell a family member, or somebody or a friend or an acquaintance or a neighbor, whomever you're with, that it's okay to keep on sinning. It's not. It's not okay in Jesus' name. Whoever that was for, I just set that out there. But they didn't understand. They would not because they were spiritually blind. And he was the divine divinity of God. They were doing evil works. And, and he says to you, you are of your father, the devil. And you carry out his desires. He's a murderer from the beginning. He's not holding to the truth for there's no truth in him. This is John 8 when he speaks, uh, verse, uh, this is verse 44. Um, when he speaks, it is, he lies, he's saying. It's, his, it's, his, it's who he is, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yeah, because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. So, so he, is, he makes these claims about himself, who he is. They say he's now possessed. You're possessed by a demon. That's their next thing. They accuse him of being possessed. I don't know about you, but have you ever been accused of something you've not done? Or someone attacks you? That's not a pleasant feeling, is it? Especially when you know you haven't done anything. You're like, what? What's going on here? Well, I'm telling you who's behind it. It is the accuser of the brethren. And he's saying, they say, I am, he said, I'm not possessed by a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. 
I said, I'm not seeking glory. You know, he's not narcissistic. I'm not seeking glory for myself. <laughs> there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. And I tell you the truth. He's the judge. And anyone who keeps my word, he will never see death. What a claim he made there about himself. And at that point, you know, they were saying, uh, you're demon-possessed, you're not greater than Abraham, you're not greater than our father. And he said, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim is your God, is the one who glorifies me, though you do not know them. Again, you're ignorant, you have spiritual blindness. But he said, Father Abraham, rejoice at the thought of seeing my day. And he was glad. And then they started accusing him again. You are not 50 years old. You've seen Abraham. He said, I tell you the truth. This is, he's asserting his deity here. Before Abraham was born, or was born, I am. So they picked up stones to stone him now. This is getting brutal. And it says he hides himself and slips away from them so they cannot kill him. All right, it's not his time. So they began to hurl all kinds of insults at him and they continue to defame him and they continue to speak against him and despise him. And despite their ignorance, they're fighting with him and arguing and striving. You know, whenever someone comes at you and strives with you and fights with you, I'm telling you who's behind it. Who do you think's behind this attack on Jesus? It was the enemy. So Jesus... um, heals and he sets the blind free and they get upset with that because he heals the blind and they want him you know the Jews get angry and um and then he gets healed of blindness and they say the Jews said who did this and he tells them it's you know this man came and so Jesus said that they were spiritually blind and some some of those Pharisees said what we're not blind and he said well If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin, but now you claim you can see, but your guilt remains. So you won't recognize that you're spiritually blind. So now here's the best part of all, the good shepherd. I've always loved John 10, 10, because it's it's really revealing, but I'm going to throw a little bit different uh, um, interpretation, not really, but the word of God on you on this one and just let you think and mull this one over, okay? I just love this. So the story of the shepherd and his flock, Jesus being the good shepherd, we being his flock. You're in his flock. You're one of his little sheep. And if you study sheep, apparently I'm not a herdsman or <laughs> I'm not a shepherd, but but if you've ever studied one, you know one thing about sheep, they can be kind of dumb. And, you know, they're kind of innocent. They wander off. They can get entangled. But that sounds okay except for one problem. If they're ignorant and they're dumb, the enemy can pick them up and deceive them, okay? There are sheep pens that you need to stay in. You need to stay in your own court. You need to stay in the Word of God. You need to stay uh, tied up, if you will, in God and His Word every day in prayer so you don't get caught because Christ is the Good Shepherd and He is our divine leader. He wants us to follow him, but we can't be dull, we can't be foolish, and we can't allow ourselves to be snared. So Jesus said in John 10.10, I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, uh, in the Amplified Bible, actually I'm going to read that too, because the Amplified is a little more interesting here, and it expounds on that. He says, I assure you, 
and most solemnly say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the sheepfold, but climbs up from some other place on the stone wall, that one is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep, the protector and provider. Excuse me. (coughs) Pardon me for coughing. The protector and provider. And that's really what this is all about. When we are spiritually orphaned and we feel abandoned from our past life or we're not walking in the truth of God's word, we don't know who we are in Christ yet, we haven't renewed our minds, we're kind of being picked off by different thoughts. We need to know Christ Jesus is our protector and provider. And he is good. And he's, this says in John chapter 10, verse 3, the doorkeeper or... Uh, another term for that, um, I'm looking that up right now, sorry about that, um, the gatekeeper, the, the watchman, I like that word watchman, opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice, he calls his own sheep by name, and leads them out, wow, what a statement, <laughs> what a message, In itself, I could just preach on that alone. He's saying, most assuredly, I assure you, I'm giving you confidence here that this parable, the story of the Good Shepherd is one of the best stories, I think, because he's saying that he is protecting his sheep, but he's going to make a a difference here. And what else is out there? What else is out there? Who else is out there, I should say? A watchman typically, if you use the word watchman or gatekeeper, that is someone who is a prophetic intercessor, a prophet or intercessor. You are on the wall. You should be watching. He always says, watch, be on guard. Your enemy prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him in the faith. But if you're open and you're not in the right place at the right time, and you're just open, your mind is open, you're off somewhere in la-la land, fantasy land, you need to get real right now. This is a little bit of rebuke for you, an admonishment. That admonishment is a good word. Correction. You don't have time in this last hour, and these days are evil, to be fooling around with imagination. The Lord showed me casting down every imagination and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. That's his word against God and his word, bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. When you give your life to Christ, your mind cannot just wander, 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 wander. You can't get up every day loose and free, fancy free. You get up with your feet hidden the ground running. I am a child of God. I'm on the wall watching. Even while I'm busy at my job or I'm working or even when I have things to do, I am alert and I am checking things out. A watchman on the wall praying. That's what you're to be. So this watchman, he says, he's on the wall and he opens the gate for him. So we, as watchmen on the wall, we're opening the way for people to come to Jesus Christ. Through our prayers, through our intercessions, right now, that's what I'm doing. I'm opening up Jesus to you. Because if I'm not expounding on him, who am I to be talking about? Who who should I expound on and, and, and lift up would be the name of Jesus and him, himself, Jesus himself. So the watchman opens the door. The sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name. That's what I love. He is going to call you by your name. 
the name that you were given. So whatever your name is, the the shepherd, the good shepherd calls you by your name. You'll hear him call you by your name. There'll be no doubt it is the good shepherd. When he has brought us out, that is such a beautiful thought. Our name, you know, the name we've been given is important to God. You know, in the Bible, there are people who God changed their name. He called them another name, fruitful or something or whatever, because they were about ready to enter into their divine calling and appointment. And he would speak to them uh, when they came out of darkness into his marvelous light. For instance, Saul was very arrogant. He was killing and persecuting and rounding up Christians to have them executed. And here he was on his road to Damascus carrying out orders. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was taught by Gamaliel. He was, he was a, um, a scholar, you know. He was no, no small guy here. And he's on his way doing the will of God, you know, thinking he's in the will of God. He did this in thinking. Killing the Christians was, this was a group that he had to get rid of. They threaten, you know, whatever, Judaism. So some people think they're in the will of God and they're on their road to Damascus and they see a bright light. And this bright light knocks him down off of his horse and he goes blind. And this is what the call was, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why? Why are you persecuting my saints? Why are you persecuting the children of God? And he said, who are you, sir? He said, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. I want to say this to you. You might have heard me say this before. When you persecute God's children, I just want to tell you something. Anyone that does that, these people right now today that are bashing Christians and, and out for blood, you know, and, and laughing at Christianity and putting Jesus down, and they're persecuting Christ again. I'm telling you, that's so serious because Hebrews said there's no, you got to be careful with that. You got to be careful with that, people who are doing this, okay? Because I'm not saying, I'm not calling any judgment out. I'm just saying be careful with that. So, and you can spotlight people in the news and media that do this. So, what happened here is in the end was that when he, when the sheep brings them out, calls them by name, he leads them out and he brings them out into, and all his own, he goes on ahead of them. I love that. And his sheep follow him. You notice that the good shepherd goes out ahead of you. You're not going out of the good shepherd. You're not running. There's this kind of like spiritual tension. You're not running out ahead of Jesus. I'm going to do my own thing. You know, lawlessness. I don't, I don't respect any authority. I have my own authority. And you don't lag behind because if you lag behind... You're going to get caught if you're not in step with the sheepfold. If you're not in the sheepfold, right? And you're not being led out by the one and only Jesus Christ, the good shepherd. You're not going out when the watchman opens the door and he comes in to lead a sheep out. And you're resisting the watchman or you're resisting, you know, going with the rest of the sheep in rebellion. You're going to get caught because guess who's going to catch you? It says they know his voice. So I would confess that right now. I would say, Lord, you are the good shepherd. You call me by my name and you lead me out into green pastures. You lead me 
and I follow you. I'm not out ahead of you, and I'm not behind. It says, but they will never follow a... He's so, Jesus is so emphatic. They will never follow a stranger. So a stranger, do you know what stranger danger is? <laughs> Probably do. I'm just going to make it so simple. A strange, odd, unusual distortion of the truth. Something that perverts the truth. Something that is not true, but you believe it to be true. Because you've been razzle-dazzled by the enemy and he's painting a picture and it's not a true one because he wants to get you. All right? But he can't because I'm giving you the word. And the word is powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides the soul from the spirit, the joint from the marrow. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. He said, but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. I'm just going to ask you, do you recognize, can you discern the voice of the Lord your God? Do you know how he speaks? Do you know, people say, well, I just wait for an angel to come, or, oh yeah, uh-huh, yeah, you do. Or I'm just waiting for another vision, or I'm just going to have a dream. And No, that's not what the Bible, nowhere does Jesus say that in John 10. If Jesus said, wait for a vision, wait for an angel, and you'll hear his voice, and then you'll be let out. No, he doesn't say that. My sheep know my voice. You say, well, is it an audible voice? Could be. Is it an inner voice? Yes. Is it a voice, a real voice? For some, it could be. But generally, it is a still small voice, or it is a knowing. I like to say in your knower, in your spirit, man, where the Holy Spirit dwells. It's, that word man is generic, and man or woman. But inside your spirit, not up in your head necessarily, down in your heart. That's a better word. Exchange that word spirit for your heart, a knowing inside. It's intuitive. It's like a knowing. Once you read the word and you be, put the word of God in you, you begin closer and closer to knowing the voice of the good shepherd. But if you put very little word in you, you're deficit, you're dry, you're like a desert. It's not very, nothing's going to grow there. It's going to be unfruitful and you will not be able to hear the voice. You have other things clamoring all around you and distractions and you're let off easily. You're going to have a difficult time. But I believe you won't have a difficult time because Jesus was using this figure of speech, but they didn't even understand what he was telling them. So there was a dullness even with the people he was speaking to. They were dull. Therefore, Jesus said again, so he had to say it to him again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. So you're going to be saved when you enter through Jesus. He will come in and out and go out and find pasture. And the thief comes only. So who is the thief? Who's the thief here? When you think of a thief, to steal, steal, kill. I sound like I had to say the accent there. Steal, kill, and destroy. I am come that they may have life and have it more to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, now this hireling is an imposter. The, the hireling in John uh, 10, 12, I'm going to look at it in the Amplified again. The hired man who merely serves for wages, money, 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 
He is neither the shepherd nor the owner of the sheep. When he sees the wolves coming, he deserts the flock and runs away. And the wolf snatches the sheep and scatters them. He snatches them and kills them. So when a hireling comes, they call that a hireling or someone hired for money. Eh, they don't really have an interest in the sheep. It's all about me. It's all about me, 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 me. They're just interested in the money. They don't have, really have any interest in the sheep taking care of them. And they, they desert. They, these are the deserters or the betrayers are those who don't hang around. When tough times come, they're nowhere, man, okay? Because they run away. And what happens then, if you don't have the right people, the right leadership around you, like right now, I believe I'm a leader and I'm around you, surrounding you with faith and the word. When you don't listen to the right teaching, you can get snatched. Because the enemy is seeking whom he may devour. If you can see a little sheep, oh, they're kind of over here. They should be over here, but they're over here wandering, wandering, wandering. They're getting tangled and stuff. And, and these lies are being weaved. And they believe a lie. And they're deceived. you know. And they're all over here. And they should be over with the good shepherd. It should be by the watchman. Yeah. He opens the door and lets the good shepherd in. And then the shepherd goes ahead of this little sheep and the sheep follow him because they know the voice of the good shepherd. He calls them by name. So it's a very intimate, personal relationship we have with Jesus. It's not a generic one like, oh, wow, I wish I could hear. You turn off everything and tune in to the word of God. Just take your app, Bible.is. It's a great app and just kick on John 10, 10, John 8, and just go from 8 to 10 and just listen to the word. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing the words of Jesus. So faith starts rising in your heart because you hear the word. Take, take time to put the word in you, God's word in you. So you know the voice of the good shepherd. You know his nudges. You know his leadings. You know when you open your big mouth and you say wrong things you shouldn't be saying. <laughs> That's pretty straight up, but sorry guys, I've known you a while, so I'm just going to tell you straight. So Therefore, and I know you don't have big mouths. I know you have wonderful mouths. But Jesus said this again, you know. He's making sure they understand the truth. This is a killer, a thief, and a robber. He just wants to steal from you. He wants to destroy you. He's not coming to protect you, but he can mislead you and delude you in delusions. I am the good shepherd. He lays down his life. The wolf comes, is coming. But what does the wolf do? It says, so when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons. That idea of being abandoned, forsaken, rejected, does that ring true with you? That would be the thief. That would be, or that would be the, um, the hireling. The wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hireling and he cares nothing for the sheep. He didn't care about you, care about you. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen and I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. There's not like a thousand, 10,000 million shepherds and flocks. No, he's talking about himself here. Yeah, there are shepherds. There are gift ministries he places in the church, pastors and that. But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about himself. 
The reason my father loves me is um, that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my father. Now again, it says, you know, the Jews were divided and they said he has a demon and he's raving, he's mad. Um, Doesn't that make you feel comfortable right now? Aren't you comforted by that? Why listen to him? And they were divided. So there were divisions and strife over Jesus. Did you notice in the world, you can walk into any place and in the world, you can talk about Buddha. You can talk about, you know, yoga. You can talk about spirituality. You know, you can talk about, ooh, did you see that, you know, extraterrestrial thing? Or did you see that, that, you know, you can talk about that. People are like, whoa, you know, you go to Disney World and they do magic, you know, like magic on the streets and wow, you know, sleight of hand. How cool is that? Or you can watch a movie. It's all about demons and somebody's possessed and some child hears the voice of the devil. Wow, that's so cool. You know, that's what, that's what you hear. It's just using these terms, you know, and that when you can say Jesus, he's the good shepherd. He's the way, the truth and the life. No man comes to the father but by him. My sheep know my voice and a strange voice. You can't get straighter than that. Either you do or you don't. Well, the Jews were in unbelief. And they said, how can a demon, some of them said, how can a demon open the eyes of a blind man? How can he perform a miracle? So even they had enough sense. And some of the spiritual blindness was coming out of them. So it started to change. And he goes on to say, you don't believe me because you're not my sheep. So he straight up says, my sheep, listen to my voice. I call them by name. And then he says, you are not my sheep. You're not mine. You don't belong to me. So that's one of the signs right there. And no one can snatch my children out of my hand. I'm just paraphrasing that. But the Jews again picked up stones to stone him. And he said, which one of these things are you stoning me for? For the miracles I've done or telling you the truth? Oh, no, we're not stoning you for these, they say, but blasphemy, because you are a mere man. You make yourself out to be God. So they came after him, all right? And he explains all this to him to them. But the thing that I wanted you to get in this message today, simply put, do you know the voice of the Good Shepherd? We live in a world that is rebellious in the end times, lawlessness reigns. It's kind of sad, you know, but this, this, this weaving, oh, what a tangle, what we weave when we first practice to deceive. Well, practicing to deceive, I started with that, I'm ending with it, is that deception, the deceiver, the devil, the liar, the thief, the killer, the wolf who comes to snatch the sheep. That's who we are as watchmen to be watching out for. This is also a prayer ministry. The watchman on the wall is alerting and, hey, the thief is coming. Pay attention. Be, be on your alert. Be on your guard. You can't walk. The Bible says walk circumspectly. It says walk because the days are evil. Not because you walk fearful. Oh, I got to walk around fearful every day. Oh my gosh, what's going to happen to me? No, you walk in the light of the joy of the Lord righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost, but you're alerted to the fact that there is an enemy, and if you're just lollygagging around and fooling around, and you're not where you're supposed to be, where should you be? In the sheep pen, right? And you're outside of the sheep pen, you're going to get snatched, 
okay? And we don't want you to be snapped, okay? That's the plan. God's plan for Christian service in life is that you would be filled with the Holy Spirit, that you would serve him with all your heart, that you would love the Lord your God, that you would follow after him for Christian service. This is God's will for his called out ones, his set apart ones, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to to do warfare prayer, to co-labor with him, to share the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ, to witness, to be a witness, you know, to stand in the gap and pray like we've been doing on this call. That's, that's God's design. What is his design for Christian service? What is his plan? You know, God has his plan, his way. His way is right. God's ways are right. Everything he says is right. Okay? In our society where there's spiritual blindness and there's death and they're not, they're not children of God, it's not about, it's not about, you know, Jesus, it's about you all the time. The attitudes that are created by the devil is like he's the narc. He's the narcissist. Where do they come from? The father of lies. These personality disorders, these exaggerated feelings, excessiveness, a lack of empathy. I mean, when you look at it, really, and you study it, you know, fantasies, beauty, perfection, admiration of one's talents, selfishness, pride, vanity. I mean, all these things point to the devil. Yeah, it points to the enemy of this, not just of Christians, but of anyone. He wants to take everyone out. We want to prevent that, don't we? We want to create uh, a world that is the truth that Jesus is in. We want to get everybody rounded up in that sheep pen and get them to hear Watchman opens the door for the Good Shepherd. Follow Jesus. That's my message. So we want to get in weaving this web that the devil is weaving and creating a plan to deceive and lie and lie to you. And you believe his lies. Oh, my goodness. You know, I am exposing Lucifer right now. I'm exposing his plan to destroy your life right now. Did you realize that? I am exposing him. You know, and the power of prayer we have over him. The power of prayer, dear ones. So let us pray now, okay? Father, Lord, we thank you for this podcast and this time with you, Lord. And your word is so powerful, Lord. You watch over your word to perform it, Lord. Your word will not return to you void without accomplishing that which you sent it to do. God, I ask you, make this word alive. Your word is living. It is active. It is sharp. And pierce the hearts of the people with your word, your dynamite, your dunamis, your Holy Ghost firepower, and that their eyes would be open. No more spiritual blindness. That you would go in, Lord, and open the eyes and anyone who's being led astray, being deceived right now, will come back to you, Lord, in Jesus' name, and be repentant, repent to you, Lord, and ask for forgiveness, Lord, and get back on track with you, your precious ones, because you have a plan, you have a purpose for all of us. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. There's no one greater than you, God, and we thank you for the power of prayer, for it belongs to you, Lord. You are the gift, Jesus. We love you and bless you today. We thank you for opening the eyes of everyone on this podcast to receive the glorious gospel. Your word is glorious. 
And I thank you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, that was pretty long. That was a long podcast. But normally I just go really short, like 30 minutes, 35 minutes. But I felt like I needed to get this word in. I look forward to hearing you, your beautiful voices, and lift it up in prayer on our prayer call on Tuesday nights. I I really look forward to that. I thank you for being faithful to the Lord. I thank you for being perceptive and praying for me. Would you? Paul the Apostle asked them to pray for him. Please pray for me as well. I thank you for your prayers, and I love you and bless you. We'll be seeing you later. Bye-bye. Hi, guys. It's me, Paula, and I pray. And so welcome to my podcast. If you haven't been on my podcast, I'm going to be doing a series on uh, various topics that kind of flow together. I cannot fulfill all of them in one podcast. I try to keep it around 35, 40 minutes. So I just want to pray for you and thank you for being with me today. Um, I'd like to pray uh, for you and for myself and for everyone on this podcast that will take a firm stand for the truth in God's word and that you will never deviate from the word of God, regardless of popular trends, opinions, or those around you in your family or friends, or even the culture you were born into. So in the name of Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, I depend on you to empower me to be able to minister this word, but also to empower everyone who is committed to Christ and to the scriptures in these last days to open their eyes, though it be unpopular, Lord, that you will strengthen the believers all around me on this call so we are able to remain strong in the world gone crazy and loving and not disagree with our commitment with you, Lord, our covenant we have with you. Father, I pray for all those believers who have made a decision right now to never veer from your word of God are living now in the last days and troublesome times when there's so much pressure. Father, I pray that the power of your Holy Spirit right now will flood me and all those who have made a decision to walk in the truth of the Bible and will no longer be Bible illiterate, but will begin to study and search out the scriptures and be able to meditate, think about your word day and night, that they might be prosperous, Lord, and know you and the power of your resurrection. I pray you fill our hearts with compassion for those who have really veered off track. They're not afraid of judgment, so they need our love right now to just snatch them right out of the fires of hell. Those who have been wayward, family members and friends who no longer have been choosing or had choose your word, Lord, but they have listened to other voices and have been deceived. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would intervene right now in the lives of believers who have fallen away. In the name of Jesus, as we stand in the gap for them and pray for them. Father, I am concerned about what we see in our nation and our world today. So I lift up my voice in a prophetic nation, prophetic nation of people, of, of the remnant church, really, that this generation, let the eyes of our heart be flooded with light so we can see politically, politically the correct things and give spiritual leaders a burning passion to know your word, your eternal word, and to preach the message to the people no longer compromise. Last of all, Lord, we pray for commitment again that we would no longer veer off of the word of God and be committed to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Hallelujah. Well, today I wanted to share a word called, you know, hold nothing back and tell you the whole truth. (laughs) And that's kind of like Jesus. Jesus didn't pull any punches. 
If you notice Jesus, he just cuts right to the chase. He just speaks the truth. One day I was uh, musing in my heart before the Lord and I was talking to the Lord and the Holy Spirit broke in. And, you know, it was like when the Holy Spirit breaks into your thought life and your heart and he begins to speak to you, he always speaks the truth. He's called the Spirit of Truth. He can do nothing but tell you the truth. Now, when that flow and that voice of the Holy Spirit is dimmed in your life and you have let everything around you come in and close in on you and you're no longer quiet before the Lord, we've all been there and done that, then you no longer can hear the voice of the Lord in your heart. You can no longer hear the Spirit of God move upon you or impress your heart because you're, you've either got your mind made up or you've been deceived. And so in the last days, there's one thing that I noticed in uh, my research, and make no mistake about it, the devil will try to disrupt you. His desire in this last days will be to very subtly move in through God's people, through doctrines of deception and compromising morality. That's going to be the big thing through sorcery, through uh, sexual sin. People are going to be caught up in a snare of deception. So deception is believing a lie. But, you know, we have to be rock solid in our truth of God's word. You have to know the doctrine of the word of God. You have to know the truth of the word of God. You have to guard your heart. You have So you don't depart from sound teachings and doctrines. You have to be motivated by compassion and the love of God. But you cannot allow yourself... In Isaiah 60, it says there would come a day when there'd be gross darkness that would come upon the people. Okay? This is that prophetic hour. We are called to be the light, but we can't be the light if we're slowly, slowly compromising. We do not have a good foundation in the Word of God. If we have somehow listened to leaders and have fallen away to the moral uh, contamination that's in the world right now. If you read the little book of Jude, that's always a book that has like two pages. They'll snap you back to reality. It is about your will, God's will for us to snap those who are right going into the fires of hell. Our job is to pray them out of that and to snap them out. So when hate becomes right and hating, um, you know, becomes right and people call evil good and good evil, what's the times we live in? Uh, we have to take fast action and we have to, there's no time to lose. Okay. So in the name of Jesus, I pray you're open hearted right now and um, that you don't fear, you know, what, what is the solution? It is the word of God. You know, um, the truth is that God's made it very clear that in the last days, there would be some that will fall away from the faith. It's the great apostasy before the Lord returns. And it can be shocking. Those who are spiritual leaders, where you think they would not be deceived, deception is huge in the church today. They believe a lot of false doctrine. It's just because, you know, people are persuaded by popular culture the media, and they no longer are word-based. People are no longer Bible-believing Christians, all right? So because they don't have the knowledge of the word, what can the church do? God is calling his church to, to, to take its place, to restrain the forces of darkness, to get on the wall, to warn that the enemy is advancing. Okay, come on to rise up in this end time great harvest. But we're we're going to be the forerunners. You know, John the Baptist is a forerunner before the first coming of the Lord, right? We are forerunner church. We're turning the hearts of the fathers back to the children, the hearts of the children back to the fathers. 
So what lies ahead couldn't be, you think, any worse than the atrocities that were committed in Nazi Germany, which really are very, very treacherous and evil. But people are deceived, so there's a chronic instability. There's a chronic doubting going on right now. What is a spiritual condition? It's very serious. Certain leaders are even in error. They've poisoned people with error. It's error. It's doctrinal error, okay? And so what has sunk into a very spiritually sick church is New Age thought, New Age spirituality. It's very sneaky. God can unleash us through the heartfelt prayer of a righteous man and woman. He makes much power available. It's dynamic and it's working. And we're free from deception and not led into error. But we have to have our hearts open. That's our response in this very last season of the last days. So we set time aside to be alone with God, and we look to his word, we look to the Holy Spirit, the teacher of the church, the one who comes alongside of us and helps us. And so we think about that right now. This message on the hold nothing back would be how I think about Jesus. And there's a particular message I want to get over to you regarding uh, a man named Lot in the Bible. Okay, now in a world gone crazy, I never liked Lot. He was not my favorite character. Sorry, but the story that leads up to Lot is why I have to do this in two parts um, to give you the overview, if you will, so you can understand the the father of faith is Abra or Abraham, who's the father of the Hebrew nations, and the call, the call, the call, the call. Uh, for Abram, who lived at the time, the Bible says, Genesis 15, Nehemiah 9, Acts 7, in the Ur of the Chaldeans, which was the Persian Gulf of Mesopotamia. So that's kind of the area around, I believe, Turkey, where we're talking about Turkey today, actually, which is interesting. And his family had moved there, apparently, perhaps the generations before, uh, near Haran, or Haran, and um, the descendant, there were descendants of Shem. So after the flood, you know, Noah, there was his sons, Shem, Ham, and Jesup. And so this was where they settled. And Deuteronomy tells us a little bit about that, Deuteronomy 26. So we recognize, when we study Abram's family, they are a family uh, that appear to have worshipped uh, many polytheisms. So they had many gods um, in uh they worship moon god. We see that in Joshua 24, 4. You know, the paradox is that God promises Abram and his descendants this reality of blessing, yet at the same time, they're, they're you know, you know, he always promises blessing and fruitfulness, but yet, yet every Israelite nation had like barrenness. <laughs> it's sort of like the idea of barrenness, we think just of pregnancy and women, but there's this barrenness before God comes in. So through the sovereignty of God, through miraculous interventions, God comes into our lives, um, you know, and God gives children to the barren. So we see that all throughout the Bible. That's the paradox is that he calls us and then we're barren in our hearts. And and like the three women who received, uh, there was uh, Sarah and, and uh, Rebecca and other women. We see Hannah that were barren, and God raised up a miracle there. So 
anyways, uh, Abram's depart from departs from 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 his family because God calls him to leave his family very clearly. Leave your country in Genesis twelve. Leave your kindred. Leave your relatives. Hold nothing back. You know, I always think it's interesting in Luke's gospel where Jesus says, "Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Those who do the will of my father." You know, twenty times in the gospels he he says, "Follow me." Jesus had brothers and sisters. The Bible mentions them in, in Mark and Matthew, Mark 6 and Matthew 13, James, Joseph, Josie, Jude, Simon, and sisters, they're mentioned. Have you decided to follow Jesus? And have you left and cleaved to the Lord? You know, I heard Pastor Rodney say something when his wife, Adonica, say, I love God more than I love Rodney. And people go, oh my gosh, they're married. They've been married for you know, 37, 40 years, whatever. And and, and, and and she says something like that. And she goes, no. She said, I love God more than I love Rodney because of the fact that I love God makes me love my husband. Gives me the ability, if you will, not makes me, but the ability to love. So when we say we love our, our father, our mother, our brothers, our children, our grandchildren more than we love God, that's a problem. That's a problem. Jesus doesn't pull any punches. He tells you the truth. So if you don't like Jesus, you won't like the truth because he yields nothing back. Full truth and nothing but the truth. So back to the call of Abram, um, God comes and appears to him. He says, leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. Now, I will show you. He doesn't tell him where the land is. It is the land of Canaan. It is the Canaan land. But he doesn't give him all the pieces. When God calls us, we have a glimpse or a little word of knowledge here, a prophetic inkling here, or a knowing in our spirit. But we don't know the whole picture because no one does. You see, the Bible talks about that. We are parts of a body and not everyone is called to a full-time ministry, you know, not to a five-fold ascension gift. The you know, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher I'm talking about. There's many gifts. There's many ministries, by the way. Everyone has a ministry, but, you know, not everyone, even the prophetic, even operating in the prophetic, you know, in part, you prophesy in part. That's why we need one another. Anyone that has an attitude that they don't need anyone is really in trouble because we need every part of the body of Christ. So guy calls Abram to leave his country and his relatives And then he says this, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous or make you well known. I will bless you and I will do all these things for you. And the blessings would come. And I will curse those who treat you badly with contempt and all the families on the earth will be blessed through you. So what an incredible calling. So God has his covenant, which means a bond or a binding relationship, which is rooted in commitment to promises. He promises, but on our part, faithfulness and obedience. So somebody says, just give me, give me, give me, 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 I want the blessing. But you know, to have the blessing, you have to have the obedience, the discipline to walk in the blessing of God. All right. So people don't like that part. They just want the blessing and they don't understand really the commitment that Christ is calling us to leave everything and come and follow me. People say, well, I don't really agree with that because I have an elderly someone in my life. Jesus wasn't talking about being disobedient or disrespectful 
or um, <clears throat> not respecting your family. Obviously, he was a prophet operating under the Abrahamic covenant, which if you look at the law, the law was very tough. Like if you, if you were smart-mouthing your parent, for example, you could be stoned for that under the law. I just thought I would bring that ancient law to your mind. We're under the dispensation of grace. Don't take God's grace lightly through Jesus Christ. Don't take it lightly. So you have to know the old covenant to understand the new covenant we have, the agreement God has with his one and only son, Jesus Christ. We get in on that deal. We get in. All nations are blessed through Jesus. That was God's ultimate victory, bringing in his, the Messiah, okay, through the Jewish nation, okay. So back to Abraham, our guy, or Abram. Um, his covenant, this relationship, his obligation with God. Um, so God makes covenants between individuals, we see, and nations. And um, these covenant relations call for faithfulness, they call for peace, and they call for obedience, all right? And sometimes that can be rough, okay? Because to offer your life to God when you read and study and know when God begins to move upon you and others and you study the lives of great men and women of God. You see the great commitment and you see their lives and I've studied them. I've studied the lives of them. Believe me, over 40 years, I have quite a bit of research on this. And you know what? Every single one of them, it was really tough. They either had an unfaithful situation with the husband or they had a situation with children that died or they had a situation where they were um, ousted by their denomination. They were no longer you know, allowed to you know, be ordained under them. They had great rejection. I mean, I'm just, hello, surprise, you know. So when you follow Jesus, there's no guarantee and any word of God that it's going to be a cakewalk. So if you say it was just a cakewalk, something's wrong. There's going to be something you're going to have to do to get that, that thing working with, between you and God. It's called faith. So you have to be the word faithful. The word faith in there is believe God, and it's accounted to you, just like it was to Abraham, as righteousness. You, you walk in right standing with God. God, God considers faith righteousness. So you say, well, so faith is the evidence of things hope, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So faith is required, but to every man or woman is given the measure of faith. How does your faith grow? Faith cometh. You say, well, it just stays stagnant. No, it doesn't. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing the words of Jesus. Faith isn't stagnant. Faith grows. Faith is something that's, that moves forward. It doesn't keep you in one place. Again, Jesus doesn't pull any punches. He's going to tell you the truth. He holds nothing back. So if I said I have a calling to do something and yet over here on the side have this other thing going, I can't be committed to the thing that God's called me to. How could I? I mean, if you say I will follow Jesus, but, you know, people came to Jesus and they said, Jesus said, leave everything, come and follow me. And they went away sad. The rich young ruler went away sad. He didn't follow him. He called him to come. He said, give everything to the poor and come and follow me and have riches in heaven. You see? 
because we live in this culture and it's uh, materialism and everything we can see is not what everything appears to be. So everything you see, Paul tells us beautifully, the non-spiritual man cannot know or see, our woman cannot know or see the things of God. We walk by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. He who comes to God must believe. Notice faith, believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Faith isn't stagnant. Faith keeps moving. So if you're truly a man or woman of faith and you believe God, you'd be trusting God for your relatives. If you have to leave a land, if you have to move to another location, if you have to get where God wants you to be, you go there. You go there because you expect and hope for God to meet your needs and pour out a blessing for you there because you're being faithful to the calling. God doesn't give you more than you can bear. My yoke is easy, my burden is light, but he does give you challenges. He does offer to you more if you want more. So it really is a will thing. Your will is involved. People would love for God to just come in and bam and just, you know, come on, just take over. He does. I used to think it was funny when I was in uh, the ministry years ago and I would hear people sing this song, more, give me more power, more glory. I'm like, yikes. Are you, do, you know what, do you know what you're asking for? If you can't even handle the presence of God now and the glory of God now, what are you asking for? You don't want to step into the presence of God and be disobedient to the Lord. You don't want to come there and say, Lord, I'm not prepared. Because what he usually tells us is get ready because I have something for you here. I can't give you the whole tapestry here. I've got this whole pattern, but I can't show it all to you because you can't handle it. So he knows our frame. He knows our weaknesses. So what you're asking God for is just a little bit now, Lord, but he's going to turn up the fire and glory in the last days as we move further into the end times here. He is going to turn it up, but he can't turn it up on everyone. He can't hand a novice. He never puts a novice in position of authority. He's not going to put you in a power position because he knows what the enemy will do. He's a great master of deception. He's a great deceiver. Uh, he works that way, undercover, okay? So he's not going to give you something you can handle. Some people are way far out in their head. They're way up in their head. And what happens is they want big, 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 big things, right? But they don't understand God works on little things. There are men and women of God who have been serving in nations. They've been planting churches. They've been faithful to a mission in the United States. They've been faithful to minister to children. I, I met some wonderful evangelist to children through Christ for the Nations when I was very young, very young in like the early 80s. And they were missionaries to children. And I was in a conference where as a leader, I was being taught by these people who were missionaries to children. They were being faithful to where God planted them. They probably, did, at that time, we didn't have the internet, but they were just being faithful to God. So wherever God has planted you, be faithful to the Lord and serve him there happily. If you're a whiner and a complainer and a moaner, and you're, you're kind of off emotionally and mentally, you're not going to do well with God. The Bible tells us to get our minds straight. Get straight thinking by renewing your mind to God's word. A lot of people are running around. You can, you can have money. You can have a platform. You can have an internet, you know, like explosive kind of thing. You can be cutting edge, hip. You can be a hipster, okay? But you may not be in God's will. <laughs> when you stand before them, we're going to know if your works bore fruit. We're going to know it because we're going to know, did you call yourself to that thing? Did you go there? You weren't sent. 
come and follow me. He said, I will make you fishers of men. He will, he will get us up for this end time harvest. We have to be faithful in little and he'll put us in charge of much. But still, people don't like that little thing because they're into pop culture. See, pop culture kind of dictates to, especially millennials, what they're going to do. Not so much the word of God. So if you have the church that's kind of, you know, very fading away from the truths, the biblical foundation I'm talking about, the worldview, biblical worldview, I could ask them, can you give me the tenets of faith? Can you share the doctrines of Jesus Christ with me? And they cannot. They cannot give me the simple doctrine of Jesus Christ and him crucified and risen from the dead for a justification. That's pretty pathetic to me. As a teacher, that greatly troubles me because then anyone from any socialist group, any political um, group, you know, any group think, any body can come in, Hollywood, Hollywood, anyone, and infiltrate the church. New Age philosophy is rampant in the church. It's ramped up very high. There's little sprinkles of it came in small, but it's pretty big now, and it's accepted in many large places. Many large, you'd be surprised if I named names, where people are allowing that within even the idea of, you know, having, you know, uh, even when we get into health and wellness, we have to be careful. You know, nowhere are we supposed to make that a doctrine. See, that's where the problem lies. It's okay to learn about nutrition and health and wellness. It's okay because we need that today. Our food source isn't good, so we need to eat organically. We need to take better care of ourselves and all that so we can do the work of the ministry. But the problem is you can actually make that a god or a goddess, and that becomes a doctrine. You can't make that a doctrine. You know, you can't even make something that God has told you to do. You know, years ago, I heard about this person. He was told by God, this woman, to go somewhere and do this and that and and do some spiritual mapping or whatever and speak over. Amazing. God told her. God told him. But then they tried to make that a doctrine. Someone said that, you know, you can see your angels. Next thing you know, in some church in California, a large ministry, I don't want to name the name, that everyone can see their angels. Now, that's ridiculous. That's absolutely ludicrous. That's absolute error. You know, you can if the Holy Spirit shows you, but you can't make that a doctrine, you see. You can't make that a doctrine. You can't teach that as doctrine. You can only teach what the Bible tells us to teach, what Jesus gave us. He is the Word of God made flesh. He is the word. We can't teach something outside of that. That's where people run into what we call, Paul the Apostle called error. You get into error. You get into doctrinal error. So we have to stay straight. We got to stay somewhere straight. Yeah, these are all kinds of things around us. Yes, they're happening. Amen. People are having great victory in certain areas that they're told by God to go do this and that. But that doesn't mean you're called to do that. And that doesn't mean it can be a doctrine. We have to be very, very, very careful with that. Otherwise, you know, um, I just it, I just see it happening everywhere I go. I see it uh, with leaders, even leaders that want to be acceptable. Leaders that are afraid. They all want to grab hands and sing kumbaya. Let's get up with the Pope and let's get with the Buddhists and and let's um, you know go see if we can you know have a one world religion, one world government. Come on, people. This is not good. And I'm getting off a little bit than where I was expected to go. But I do feel like the unction of the Spirit to share that. Please do not fall into error. Please do not fall into error. Please please understand what the enemy is trying to do. It is out of fear. So it's not going to be easy in the last days to stand up for righteousness. 
There is going to be criticism. There is going to be persecution. I don't think our world is, this world we live in right here in the United States of America is ready. The church is ready for the craziness with the world gone wild. So in the call of Abraham, we can learn so much from his calling. He was told that God would bless him and he would be a blessing to others. And those who would mistreat him would actually fall under a curse. And actually that is written in God's word in in Genesis 12. So we see the call of Abraham. And why is that an important thing to note? Because Abraham is kind of the mark of faith. All right. His father, it is known Terah. And um, was, you know, a polytheist. He worshipped false gods. He actually, like, created idols. And um, his name, the name Haran, where they lived, was caravan. And it's right near the border of Turkey, which is interesting. It was sort of a commercial center in the ancient world. And so we find out, when we study Abraham's family, they were idol worshippers, just like you. We all came out of sin and death, our families. I'm trying to relate this. You know, we all came out of sinful backgrounds. But praise God, we can leave our past behind, come to Jesus Christ and become the family of God. Amen. So again, um, this barrenness to fruitfulness. um, So Abram, he obeys God. He's prompted by God's calling. And it's amazing how he calls God the Lord. So that's incredible. I mean, he leaves everything behind and the thing that's strange about it is he wasn't supposed to tag anyone with him, but his nephew Lot joins him, which I is a troubling spot here. Oftentimes we get involved with people in our lives and our families that we're not supposed to be involved in. For some reason, you know, um, that leaving and cleaving to the Lord, uh, we get tempted. So if I said to you, I'm going to pray for you, you're not tempted, immediately what comes to people's mind is tempted to sin, some big sin. But actually what I'm talking about is tempted to leave the Lord, tempted to get off of the word of God, tempted to, because you're weakened or you're tired or you're weary, tempted to not serve Jesus, tempted to go back to your past, you know, and pick up that family line, that curse, the generational curse, if you will. It's called the curse of sin and death. And we see it in Genesis when the human race fell, okay? And then God promised, I'm going to send the seed of a woman will break your lordship. That's Messiah, Jesus. And it's going to come, Jesus is going to come through this family of the Israelites or the Jews through Abraham's descendant, okay? So, Abraham departs and Lot goes with him. And Abraham was 75 years old. He took his wife, Sarah, and then Lot went along. He was a wealthy guy. He had a lot of livestock, a lot of cattle, and his household is pretty large. He heads out for the land of Canaan and uh, he travels there. And it says that he realized he sets up camp there. And the Lord actually appears to him there and confirms the covenant with him again. And he builds a dedication altar to him and worships the one true God, the Lord God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. That's who he calls him. And so that's who he is. And so he goes up there, he sets up his, his tents and he begins to worship the Lord. And he continues on. So there's many incidents in this life where Abraham's obedience to God is proven. His covenant with the Lord, he's called the friend of God. I find that very interesting. Very interesting. He has this bond. He has a binding relationship, a commitment to the Lord God. 
is so interesting to me because Israel's future in Jeremiah 31 is about a new covenant coming, a new agreement. The old covenant uh, God made, you see, with Abraham, or Abram, originally changed his name to Abraham, the father of, of, of the nations, the father of nations. God establishes this relationship. So covenant is based on relationship, just like with your family. You have the family of God. We're to have a relationship and not, not, not be a rebel. You know, Israel's low points is when they rebelled against God. God sent his prophetic word in to warn them. Then they ended up going into captivity. Then God ended up, you know, they cried out to God. God delivered them. And then he also uh, punished the people who kept, took them captive, the nation. So this is a continual cycle that we see. And so God has a people, we are his people, and we are sealed by the blood of Jesus. But under the old covenant, that work in the old covenant was done by the blood of bulls and goats, or it was done, first of all, as a symbol or a sign of circumcision. The Bible talks about circumcision of the heart today, being circumcised or set apart are marked by God. And in the old covenant, Abraham and his people, the Jews, the Israelites were marked by circumcision. They were set apart, especially the firstborn male to serve the Lord. God established that covenant with blessings, but there was a covenant that was motivated by the faithfulness of God. And there were certain conditions though. It wasn't an automatic certain reward. I'm certainly going to be blessed. So God doesn't ever break his covenant or withdraws his covenant, but he could exclude certain people from it. Okay. So uh, his, his promise to us today, his love covenant, uh, the commandment of love between his one and only son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, um, who's very God and very man and God in the flesh, he came and by grace. So we're not to take or mock or take advantage of God's goodness or his grace today. Okay. We're not to do that. God's faithfulness and his peace is with us. So we can see when the flood came in and God destroyed, he said, I'll never do that again. I'll never destroy the earth with the flood in Genesis nine. We can see his promise to Abraham to make a great nation on him, to bless everyone through Abraham. All nations would be blessed through him. This covenant promise was sealed in blood through the, the circumcision and also later bulls and goats. And Isaac was the promised seed. So here we have Abraham, very old, impossible to have a child, impossible for them to be fruitful. And yet the Bible makes this amazing statement. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Faith and righteousness go hand in hand. When you believe God, God considers that righteous. You go, well, I'm not so good. You know, I've got some things in my life and I'm struggling with, but according to God, if you believe God, he accounts that as right standing with him. Okay, remember that. So God, uh, through Abraham, Isaac, the promised seed is born. And uh, of course, then Jacob and then the nation of Israel is established. And God begins to bring in his promise through his descendant, David, who is the ruler and the king will come through David, David. Okay, King David. And we know Jesus came through David. And God made a new covenant then through Jesus Christ, enables all people to come to him now through faith. Hallelujah, say amen. Now all people, all nations can come to him. So it started out through Abraham's faith, the father of faith, and God calls him from a pagan world, like he called all of us out of sin and death 
into new life in Christ and to leave his past, his land, his people, his relatives behind. That's cutting what he's saying there is cut the cord, cut the sin and death cord. You know, it's very difficult to be in a family when you've got, you know, loved ones that are fallen away. You can't, you can't really have that fellowship or they don't know Christ. It's very difficult. You can be a light to them. You can pray for them, of course, but you can't really get in and fellowship with them. It could be a wayward son or daughter even. It could be a wayward um, relative that at one time loved God or served God, but they get into sin and then you're around them. Next thing you know, you compromise. See, oftentimes the deception is people think they can tamper or, you know, like fool around with sin. You know, oh, sin isn't that. Sin is like a cancer. So if somebody is sinning around you, I, I, I can give you a hundred examples right now. I, I could really. And this is experiential knowledge of people who told me they went back into something, they ended up falling into sin. Okay, so what happened was they started a coffee house or they, they went back with their relative. Next thing you know, oh, my relative kind of does these things, you know, it's okay. Or, you know, friends from their past or whatever. The next thing you know, they've fallen back into the gay lifestyle. Or they've fallen back into materialism. Or they've fallen back into sinning again. And see, everyone is deceived because deception is the name of the game in the end times. See, if you're not deceived, you, you're believing a lie, you know. So your relatives have been deceived. That's why we cry out to them. That's why we intercede for them. That's why we ask God to bring them back. That's why the book of Jude is so popular right now, I call it, because it's an end times book. Of snatch them right out of the fire. Amen. So when God gives these commands to Abraham to leave and cleave, he's going to bless them. There's a blessing in obedience. But Abraham didn't know where he was going you know, the promise was actually made to his father. Do you know his father? God came to him and appeared to him. The Bible tells us, and and he didn't go. He didn't go. So some of your relatives, some of your descendants were called by God, and some of them served God. Some of the blessing you are receiving is because of those in your family. You see that? Do you see it? You know, some of the things that we get, God never forgets the the faithfulness of our relatives, okay, that were with Christ and knew him and prayed and prayed for the kids and grandkids. If you came out of a family like that, wow, Z, you are amazingly, amazingly blessed. And you have a great calling on your life because you're carrying that covenant, that agreement that your ancestors had with the Lord through Jesus Christ onto your family. You see, everything is about the family of God here. Everything is about blessing and fruitfulness and uh, establishing Jesus Christ and bringing many into the last day in time's harvest. So so those who would treat Abraham badly, God said, you know, they would be uh, rejected, okay? But all those who would receive the blessing of Abraham, they would be blessed. So by faith, we can participate in the blessing which is coming down on the Gentiles in Galatians 3, Galatians 6, I believe, and Romans 9. We see that covenant of the Messiah came down and we can trace it all the way. And so now my story begins here with my problem with a man named Lot. And I have a problem, okay? So Lot was Abraham's nephew, and he was an ancestor of the Moabites. 
And he was born like Lot in Ur of Chaldean. And he, he, he was there. Um, there was the death of his father, Terah. And then he joins Abraham. So it doesn't say anything about Lot's supposed to come with Abraham. It just says he joins him. So when Lot and Abraham return, um, you know, from there's, there's, there's a problem there with some strife between um, Abraham, excuse me, and Lot's uh, herdsmen. And through a choice of land. So they look over the land and Abraham lets, Abraham says, let's don't have strife between us because of these herdsmen. You choose which land you want to dwell in. Right there, there's a separation that needs to come, but it is a problem. It's not a problem for Abram because he's a righteous man and he's a godly man. He's waiting on the Lord for the promised seed. But his nephew is the holdup here and his herdsmen. So it says that Lot looks over all the land and he goes, oh, I'm going to take this land. You know, I'm going to take up residence here. So he chooses the fertile plain of the Jordan. And it says it was like the garden of the Lord. Okay, in Genesis 13, 10. And eventually he takes up residence in Sodom. This is the problem I have with him. Okay, he takes, he's a compromised man. He has compromised God. He comes from the blessing. He comes from living with this righteous man whom God appears to several times and makes a covenant with him. The Lord God Almighty breaks into this family to raise up Jesus to come to save all of us from our sin, right? No small deal here. And so Lot ends up with the blessing because of his uncle Abram or Abraham. So I have a problem with wayward falling away and people compromising in families. I have a problem with Lot because um, Abraham has to deliver his nephew from being, um, who is uh, raided and attacked by the, uh, these, these kings who come in, they kidnap and they take his nephew captive. I want you to think about that. Do you have someone in your family who's been taken captive by Satan? Well, Abram, he's the intercessor. He's the one who stands in the gap. But in this case, literally, he gets like, like, I don't know how many, he gets like, some young men, I think it was 318 trained warriors. This guy, this is, he's a formidable foe. Abram's no, no schmuck. I mean, he gets together and he goes in and he conquers these kings. Why? Because he has a covenant with Almighty God. And so he expects to win and have victory. He goes in and he conquers these raiding wild kings who come into Sodom, right near Sodom, and begin to take the people captive and take all the loot and everything. So Abram goes in, he's a very righteous man, and he um, conquers them and he gets his, his nephew free, his nephew free from them, right? And so, but he mobilizes all these trained warriors again and goes in there. He's a foe. I mean, he, God promised him a blessing, so he's acting it out. The prerequisite for that blessing was what? Just, I get what I want. I get what I want. I think I want. No, it's faithfulness over the world, over uh, faithfulness and victory over the sin and death. But he works that promise, that covenant. Abraham is called the friend of God. That's astounding to me. 
He's, he goes in and he's so righteous that when he's offered by the king of Sodom, you know, go ahead, you can take all the goods. He goes, no, I'm not taking any goods with me. Just, you know, kind of feed my men who've been to battle and divide up the booty uh, among all the other, our allies who defended us. So what a righteous man. So he's not greedy at all. Okay, he, he takes the victory, but he really gives it back to God. Faith always looks beyond the riches of this world to a greater blessing. Is God not enough for us? You know, I was reading Stephen Bancar's book. Uh, he was a great um, young man, a, a 20-something, you know, uh, new ager. He had a huge following of like a million, half a million people. He was raised up as a guru and he talks about his deliverance having come from a Christian family and left the Lord and went into new age philosophy, new age religion, uh, new thought. And he ended up, you know, uh, terrorized by the demon, demonic spirits that controlled him. And so he tells his story of being delivered, but he mentions the fact that God was faithful to him and delivered him when he cried out to God. As a child, he was raised in a real Christian home. I mean, I say real because today not everyone have godly parents and really have family that can say that live for Jesus. And he did, and he got delivered. But my point is, is that, you know, he's delivered out of darkness into Christ coming back to the Lord and is able to speak to this generation. So um, anyways, back to the story. It's exciting, isn't it? Faith is, is the righteousness of God. Abraham believes God. It's accounted to him as righteousness. The Lord established that relationship with Abram. He, he goes in and he conquers and he delivers his nephew who's a compromised man. So Lot lives in Sodom. And uh, later we find out the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, that God comes down, he sends some angels down there and he says, this place is so wicked. Let me spy it out to make sure we get the scoop from you directly what's going on in here the cry is coming out from here it's such a wicked place now we always throw Sodom around and Gomorrah around I mean we use it throughout my entire Christian study it's just kind of thrown out there then you get kind of tired of hearing another sermon about right Sodom and Gomorrah but you don't really get it until you really research it out like I have I'm telling you this is I want you to understand God wiped them off the planet to dust. So there isn't anyone in that town, in those, in that city, in that region, that wicked region. And Abraham, God's covenant man, intercedes for his nephew. He knows his family. Lot and his lot is lot is fallen to me. He is a fallen man. And he goes into an area he shouldn't be in. He shouldn't be living there. He was tantalized, tantalized and deceived by the fertile land. And he was, you know, lusting after that, if you will. And he got in there. Once he gets in there, I, I did research all the way as how he got in there, ended up in the gates. He ends up calling these men his brethren. He has absolutely no respect by the town or the people. Therefore, he compromised his faith. He lived in it. His own daughters are affected by it. His two daughters end up, you know, seducing, you know, their father and having sex with him. So don't tell me that where you live geographically, where you live is not important to God. Where you settle is not important to God. God called Abraham out of a land of polytheism, of gods and goddesses and moon god they worshiped and his family and his descendants and said, I'm going to show you a land. 
I'm going to take you into a land, and that's where I want you to settle. And he, Abraham was a nomad. He was a wanderer. So, you know, as we study throughout the Old Old Covenant, there are people like the Rechabites, the family that Jeremiah points out, that God uses them as an example. They obeyed their father and they didn't live in the city. As we run towards the end times, there are many words that have been set out before the people over since like, I think, um, 2004, that, that the cities are going to become rampant. Now, just logically think through it. What happens in big cities? I mean, come on. You know, you've got great out, <laughs> you've got great outpouring of evil. You've got crime running rampant. Lawlessness is in the earth before the end times in every place, not just the cities. But let's we're talking about cities now, and where the population inhabitants are. And then you have great sin and immorality. So there are certain regions and places that God is going to call refuges, houses of I call them houses or places of refuge. There will be places where you can go and run to for safety, but there's also places you are to avoid. You're not to live there with your family, your kids, your grandkids. I have a, a, a real life story here. I'm going over my time, but I got to share it with you. Um, crying out to God, walking before the Lord. There was a a man who well-known guy and he was in our home and he shared he and his, his wife was so straight uh so um disturbed when she came over and they said to us they told us frank and i during a meeting we had a prayer meeting that their children both had gotten into drugs really bad now this is a godly man and a godly woman and he was even a pastor and served for many years and now is in a rather large ministry we knew him very large ministry so he said, the mistake that I made is when I moved my kids to California. When as children, you know, they were younger, younger kids. We moved to California. He wanted to go there. Uh, he thought that that was an opportunity for him, whatever. He, and his wife said it was the biggest mistake they had ever made. There, there was a portal open in that area that they were in in California. It was drug run over. It was drugs by the rampant. You know, some people think, well, my kids are around me. My grandkids are around me. You know, it doesn't matter. Well, there are certain geographical areas. We know from scripture that have certain spirits that operate there. And I can give you several stories. I'm not going to tell all of them from people, great men and great pioneers, okay, that had traveled to certain regions of the world and described what the Lord showed them. I'm not going to go there yet. I'm just going to tell you my own personal encounters with people in my own life in that there are certain places you go into and you know there's a spirit in operation. But we're talking about children. We're talking about little kids. We're talking about the devil picking babies and children out. Okay, let's just go ahead to the root of it and say, you know, he he's a mean devil. Okay, so these kids get into groups popular. They want to be popular. Next thing you know, they're just sampling maybe a little bit of whatever, passing around, you know, smoking some weed or whatever. And the next thing you know, they're involved full-blown drug addicts. And so the parents are frantic. And they're like, you know, it just, it just happens, right? And they're saying, but the biggest mistake we made was moving out of the area where God told us to stay we moved into a wrong place. On the other hand, the flip side of that is God told somebody to move out of an area, get out of that land, because the Lord is in the past, right? He's omnipresent, future, 
omnipotent. He knows the beginning from the end. He's in the past, present, and future all at the same time. He knows what is going to happen, what's happening in that land. You go, well, there's no safe places. You know, you hear these people like, oh, be quiet. God knows exactly what's going on in a place. He knows where all the sex traffickers live. <laughs> Did you know that? They tend to go to a certain place where it's warm. I'm not going to say where, but I don't want to scare you, but they tend to hang out there. But anyway, you know, it just it's just like where the portal is open, you drop children in it. And again, the Lord emphasized to me children. We're talking about children, not grown-up, spiritually mature individuals here. So stop thinking, I'm okay, I'm fine. That's because you're an adult. I hope you're okay and you have a presence of the Holy Spirit in mind. But your children and grandchildren don't. They're kids. They're growing up. So why would you place them in harm? Just logically. We're not even going to talk spiritually now. Where would you place them in harm's way? Why would you move somewhere where they're going to be around greater temptation? It's like dropping kids off in Hollywood or Hollywood and saying, well, I wonder why they're transgender now. I wonder why they're involved with so much sin. I wonder why they go to churches that compromise and everybody's singing kumbaya and they're so friendly and new age is just rampant. That's because that's what goes on there. That's where it's accepted, okay? That's where the spirit is allowed. It's called permitted. Whatever you allow will be allowed. Whatever you permit will be permitted. You go, what does that really mean? It means exactly what Jesus said it meant. Whatever the church allows... I give you, here, I'm handing you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind, whatever you allow will be allowed. Whatever you permit will be permitted. Oh, we don't like that. God is sovereign. We don't have to pray. We don't have to do anything. What will be, will be. Que sera, sera. Well, you know, this is the end times. Things are going to happen. I'm like, are you kidding me? So you don't witness? You don't share Christ with anyone? Hmm. I mean, you don't pray for anybody. You don't intercede. Abraham interceded for his nephew, Lot. And the, the way this uh, exchange went is pretty wild. If you know the exchange that went on between Abraham and God, it was like, God, if there are 10, you know, he got down to 10 righteous, um, would you destroy the city? And God said, no. Okay, so he knew there was at least 10 of his relatives inside that city that shouldn't be there, and he wanted to spare them and protect them. So Abraham intercedes. He stands in the gap, and this is a prayer call. Sodom and Gomorrah, when those two angels entered into that city of Sodom, Lot was sitting there, and when he saw them, he stood up and met them, and he welcomed them, and he bowed his face to the ground, and he said, well, come into my house, and, and you can be my guest for the night, and, and all this and that. But these Canaanites were an evil, corrupt people, and God judged this morally bankrupt civilization, and he warned them. He warned them. So, so people take that so lightly, but they these two angels were with the Lord, and, 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 and Lot no longer you know, was living in that tent. He was now right in the city. He had become a citizen sitting there. He was in the entrance of the gate, but the leaders congregated there. The business transactions were made there. And so he tried to compromise in the wickedness of the city. Although, you know, he might have denounced some evil. Sodom's Sodom's lifestyle was so wicked. There's no good life in there anymore. I mean, God is going to destroy it. So um, the townspeople... 
they also witness Lot's hypocrisy in um, Genesis 19, 6. They're saying, who are you to tell us? When he tried to tell the townsmen, when they came to rape these angels and break down the door, let these guys out, we want to rape them? That's exactly what they said. I'm sorry, I'll just tell you straight up. And he was like, no, 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 let's, here, let me give you my two daughters instead. Excuse me, Lot, really? I mean, are you kidding me? In this wicked society, in this wicked world, you know, I mean, you know, yeah, did he oppose homosexuality and rape? Well, he was able to sacrifice his daughters. He wanted to fend, fend off the townsmen's vice. So what was he doing? What would happen in Sodom that controlled Lot? What spirit? Though those men in the city were enraged, they were going to hurt, they were going to hurt Lot. And they, Lot's warning words were not taken seriously. They called him a hypocrite, basically, in this uh, language of Hebrew. So Lot is in this situation, and these angels, you know, are saying, get out of here. They're saying, we came to deliver you and your family, and we're going to, he goes, well, let me go to this town called Zor. He wanted to go there. So they said, okay, we won't just destroy Zor. We'll send you over there. So as they're escaping, he goes to his sons-in-law, his sons, uh, his sons-in-law and says, get out of the city. And they didn't even take him seriously. Do you realize that? They did not take Lot seriously. And, and so what happened in the end of this story, it is so pathetic, um, the depravity of the city um, and Lot's willingness to sacrifice his daughter shows how corrupt he is. And he, he then hesitates, the Bible said. He keeps lingering and hesitating, not going to leave and not going to leave. Has God spoken to you? Has he told us something we are going to do? And we keep hesitating and lingering. You know, are we not obeying God? You know, um, his wife was destroyed. She looked back when she was warned. Do not look back. And she looks back, which that word there means she had a longing in her heart for the, the things that she was leaving behind. What was she leaving behind? A morally corrupt and depraved location, a city. So what does that tell you? Do you need, do you need me to paint that for you, that picture? Her heart belonged in that depraved city. His daughters belonged in that depraved city. They later act out upon the sin that they lived around, you know, putting their father in a drunken state and then having sex with them. Come on, people. Do I need to tell you any more? So they are influenced by and reluctant to leave the city. So his wife is destroyed. She looks back. His daughters are despairing. They got Lot drunk. You know, I told you the whole story. And so Lot was a fool and a hypocrite to the people of the town. And his journey out of Sodom he was still bargaining with God Lot, despite his waywardness. You know, there's something I studied through a book I read by Rick Renner, a great teacher of the Word of God, called The Word Gone Crazy. And he really expounds on the person of Lot and is able to give us the Greek and the Hebrew. And he talks about Lot's waywardness, but he said Peter declared there was a righteous man who was tormented. And he and Rick Renner goes into description of what is tormented in his soul by the wickedness he saw day by day. 
So you could be in a place and you are taken by what's happening around you. You know it's wicked, but you still won't speak out against it. You still won't rise up and intercede. You still won't call evil, evil. And you're just compromising. And that's what happened with Lot, this eruption, this Sodom and Gomorrah eruption of this corrupt, doomed society living in a pagan world. We have to remain separate from that. The Bible teaches that in 1 John 2, 15 and 17. The corrupt world system awaits us, but God's coming judgment is coming. I mean, his judgment is coming, and there is great destruction, just like it was in, in Sodom and Gomorrah mentioned in Matthew eleven twenty three through 24. So Lot concedes, and he gets involved with the town. He ends up in another place, and so is the story. But it was because of the intercession. It was because of the blessing. It was the blessing. Because, you know, when, when I didn't give you the, or, the, actual, um, the actual conversation in Genesis 18 that, that God interceding for Sodom and for his nephew, but I should give it to you because, you know, God even said, should I hide? Could you imagine God saying that? My plan for my covenant man, Abraham. Is God... God doesn't do anything unless he tells his prophets first, the Bible says. You know, and so when God goes in there, the Lord tells Abraham, I've heard of the great outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah, and the sin is so bad there, I'm going to come down. And then the other men turned and headed towards Sodom, but the Lord remained with Abraham when he came to visit him. And then and then the Lord re- and then Abraham said, Surely you wouldn't do such a thing, Lord. Would you destroy the righteous with the wicked? Why would you be treating the righteous and the wicked exactly the same? Would you do that, Lord? Would the 